1: must be 21 and older and present in select states first online real money wager only ten dollar first deposit required bonus issued as is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt see terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com fanduel is offering online sports wagering in kansas under an agreement with kansas star casino llc gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com rg in colorado iowa michigan new jersey ohio
2: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Okay, we are rolling, so you can start whenever.
2: All right. Welcome back to the Ballas and Skeen Show, the Wolverine.com podcast. Following Michigan's thirty-one to seven win over Rutgers, which is probably just about the score most people would have predicted who had watched this Michigan and Rutgers series over the last few years, and we were close. I think Skeen, maybe you finished third or so this week in staff picks. So congratulations on that Uh, after winning. One of the first two weeks, but hey, here's the thing, man. Uh, no, they weren't perfect, and I just wrote a column about the offense. No, it's not perfect, but it's getting better. And Jim Harbaugh said on Monday, he said, there were three times the instances from the Bowling Green game where we had all 11 guys doing the same thing, skiing and doing the right thing on that play. So it was much better than a week earlier when he said, sometimes we had five or six guys who weren't didn't know their assignments or were lacking there. And it maybe to be expected against a team like Bowling Green at night. You wait all day no. to play football. Okay. No, no, I what no, 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 what
3: you what you just said, no way. I'm calling the flag. <laughs> all and right. You're gonna, ha- you're gonna have half of the guys on the field having missed assignments on a on, on on a set of plays. Half the offense doesn't know what they're doing in the third game of the year. Yeah, there, there's something wrong there. Okay. Uh, and, and call me a dinosaur, but that's unacceptable. You have to know what you're doing or you can't play.
2: Yeah, Megan, do you have the dinosaur gif on there? I guess not. I was hoping that should would like put Barney up or something like that. So if you're a dinosaur, I'm a dinosaur, so uh, it is what it is. But here's the thing, Skeen. Um, they're still figuring things out at tackle, and I guess the guards graded out pretty well. The center seems to be playing pretty well, and Drake Nugent. But you and I were talking off the record earlier, off the off the um, air, that that's something that needs to be rectified and maybe they just need to stick with a couple of guys and hope for the best now miles hinton harbaugh was talking and he said you know what miles hinton had a couple of plays other than that he graded out well well those couple of plays could have gotten your quarterback killed and then you're looking at a totally different season what needs to happen there
3: well, what needs to happen is it, is it needs to be settled. And so we've, we've played four football games now, and they're rotating the tackles. They're trying to figure out this combination in there. And from what I've seen, I think Carson Barnhart is most comfortable and most effective at right tackle, where he's played most of his career at Michigan. And I like Ladarius Henderson at left tackle. If you just look at the performance between Ladarius and Carson at left tackle, and is there a major change or is there a big gap? Whatever that gap is, it's smaller than the difference between Hinton and Barnhart at right tackle. We had two plays in the in the game uh, Saturday afternoon where uh, our right tackle there, Hinton, makes the same mistake he made in one, in one of the first game in, in pass protection, where he bends at the waist, his feet stop, and a guy runs around the corner and drills the quarterback. We know what the situation, you know, four weeks in now, we know a couple things here, Ballas. This offensive line needs to get settled, and we don't have a a, a quarterback ready to come in the game that will fill in the hole of J.J. McCarthy. We, just, we don't have that. So you better keep this guy upright and healthy as much as possible, and I believe that the best combination is with Ladarius at left and Barnhart at right that helps your two guards – because those guys need to have a, a, a set understanding of who's playing tackle next to them. It's a critically important uh, uh, situation in there that those guys just get comfortable in the long term together. And so solidify the two tackles, help your two guards, and let's get, let's get this offensive line settled once and for all. I think it's time. We're four weeks in, and yes, we're, we're winning games fairly easily, but this needs to be settled and figured out.
2: Yeah, it really does. It's really a two-game season. Now, you can lose games at you can lose at Nebraska. Uh, you know, they're not very good, and we'll get back to that in a second. Uh, first things first, my Big Ten Championship uh, 1992 shirt is in the wash, but it is a Home Field product, and uh, I want to talk about Home Field here, a premium collegiate apparel brand based in Indianapolis that has incredible gear. I can't tell you how many people have seen it on this ad and ordered it and been pleased with it. Um, it is a uh, commitment to creating incredibly comfortable officially licensed apparel, with vintage college designs, you guys have seen me wearing my Big Ten Champions 1992 shirt, of which Doug Skeen was a part. Uh, growing collection of over 150 colleges to choose from at this point, including your favorite teams, which for many of you is Michigan, obviously. Uh, they've got a dedication to delving into the archives and history of each school. Uh, they discover unique logos, mascots, iconic moments like that Big Ten title to create thoughtfully designed apparel. So... Uh, Authentic, nostalgic, and the design's perfect for showing off your team pride as college football is now back and in full force. So uh, I love it. It's some of my most most comfortable shirts. Skiing yours is on the way. I've made sure of that. So um, I've got one that they sent me that's just got the block M on it, uh, which is fantastic, a T-shirt, then the long sleeve Big Ten Champions 1992 shirt. I was in school at the time when you were there skiing, and that was fantastic. So go, folks, to homefieldapparel.com. Mention the wide selection. Uh, well, I've got the wide selection of, uh, of colleges available. But if you mention the uh, – if you give the code Wolverine23, it's good for 15% off any first order with homefield Field. That's homefieldapparel.com. So, please, folks, go and check it out. So, now getting back to the offensive line scheme. And, um, you know – when I look at the the combinations, and I'm wondering where, what happened to Trente Jones, really, and, and I don't think he's really gotten an opportunity at right tackle, and they, he's done some pretty good things out there. In your opinion, how have the tackles graded out in these games? Who's been the best, and and who you know go one through three or four there?
3: Well, it, it, my opinion is that four games in is the, is the is the lineup that I just described. I like Ladarius Henderson at left, and I like Carson Barnhart over at the right, and obviously Keegan at left guard, and Zinter at right guard, and Nugent at center. I think that is the best combination that Michigan has. I don't have individual grades ballots because I quite honestly have not watched the film to break it down person by person by person. Um, it's just a matter of execution out there and the way the ball flows. When those when that combination is in there, I think is slightly better. I think Barnhart is most comfortable at right tackle. Let the, put your players in their best strengths and let their strengths get stronger. Let's not take a right tackle who maybe is a is a good right tackle in Barnhart and making him an average left tackle. But Darius played left tackle out in Arizona before he came to Michigan. Let these guys do what they're do comfortable doing. And, and I think that's the best thing for Michigan going forward. And then you know you have a capable backup off the bench with Hinton. And Trente, I don't I don't know what's going on with Trente since he had the injury last year at Iowa. He's been in and out. He's clearly healthy enough, but obviously not playing and practicing. Uh, and getting in the, on the field and game times as much as he was before that injury. So, But he still comes in as the extra heavy tight end at times, and he's effective in that run blocking. He's one of the best short yardage uh, and goal line blockers we have. That guy will get down low and move somebody. But obviously there's concerns in other parts of his game. Otherwise, he'd be in the mix more than he is. But I just believe that that combination that I described is the way the Michigan offensive line should go going forward. But – I'm not Sharon Moore, I'm not Jim Harbaugh, so they'll make the final decision. I just think one thing for sure, just let it be settled. Let your right. starting five play and let them get in there and understand that this is the group that needs to get ready to go and make this run for this 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 conference championship and then beyond. I think it's important now, four weeks in, week five going on the road, let that thing be settled.
2: And let's be clear, it's not just their fault that the run game isn't what it has been the last couple of years. The running backs, I think Blake Corum, I've said it many times, is head and shoulders above Donovan Edwards as a between-the-tackles guy. And I think we've seen that. And when there isn't as much room, then you need that guy with that wiggle. And that's Blake Corum. But uh, Donovan Edwards, I think he's frustrated. And uh, to his credit, he hasn't said anything publicly and he won't uh, as he shouldn't because he had some big, big games last year and, and took advantage of some outstanding blocking, but, it seems to me that he's not as patient as he should be at times and that he really just hasn't found his groove yet behind this particular line. Whereas Blake Corum is still, you know, stretching some things out and finding some yardage where there isn't any. Donovan Edwards really isn't that kind of back. Am I wrong?
3: Well, not at this point he's not, Ballas, and so this year's different. How many times have you heard me say it on the, on this podcast that every team and every season is different? So the Donovan Edwards that we all love to remember last year in that Ohio State game doing what he did, uh, and those two runs in the second half of that football game to put that thing away down there, that center at that time, Olawatimi, was really, really good, and no disrespect to Nugent, uh, who's playing center this year, but he's not Oluwotimi yet in the middle of that offensive line. There are some plays just the other day against against uh, uh, Rutgers where Nugent has turned to the sideline and he's not getting the push and he's not sealing like Oluwotimi did with regularity. And so when that happens and Edwards is in the backfield... Some of his, some or most of his cutting lanes or his running lanes are gone. If you've got a lineman at the line of scrimmage who's just twisting and he's not getting movement off the ball and moving somebody, it's not, it's, you know, the best way I can describe it is blocking out in a basketball court yep. versus someone moving someone against their will. There are two very different things. And so we haven't had as effective, clean one on one blocking. I think our combo blocks are decent at times, for sure. But our one-on-ones, I see a few too many stalemates with no movement, and I see some positional blocking or boxing out as opposed to moving some people. And I think that hurts the effect the effectiveness of a Donovan Edwards or Blake Corum. But I agree with you that right now the better back is Corum. He is finding some of the creases, and at times it looks outstanding. Yeah. There was a play. There was a play against Rutgers where. Uh, they had pulled the backside guard. Zinter was coming there, that the offense was running right to left on the television screen there. And Zinter comes out to kick the defensive end. That defensive end pinches down inside, which calls for Zinter to then log block it and seal it to the inside, which he did and did very well. And the tight end comes around right off of his butt cheek. And, and at the same time, now Edwards is following, he's following, he's seeing this. The tight end is now taught to kick the inside number of that defender, and the tight end went to do that. I think it was Loveland that did it, and he got the inside leverage. And that's the cue for Edwards to cut inside of that tight end block, but he didn't. Edwards tried to run it in high gear and run to the sideline, which that defender simply fell right off of Loveland's block and went out and made the tackle for a, a yard or no gain. Where If he would have just taken another step of patience and cut it inside, there was five, six, seven yards, and maybe a first down in that run. Those yeah. are the tiny little things and the and one example of many where we we talk about. Edwards having some patience and letting this offensive line block and develop. And that was a basic, you know, 47 G play. You block down the left side, pull somebody from the back and get off into the crease. And here we go. So Corwin Corum is better at right now. And Edwards needs to find a way And at the same time, this coaching staff is getting him on the football field and finding other ways to make him a threat and make defenses think about where he's at. But right now Corum's is Corum is the best back.
2: Yeah. And we'll talk about the defense here, which is on the, on the screen here in a minute, but, um, Here's here's another thing I wanted to, to bring up is that the tight ends uh, for all the criticism they got in week one really answered the bell the last few weeks, in my opinion. I think they've been playing better. And Jim Harbaugh did talk about Max Bredesen in that role. He seems to be playing with a little bit more authority here and getting out there and getting after it. These guys have done a pretty good job. Uh, have you seen improvement in that group like uh, Jim Harbaugh has?
3: Well, I think the running game has come along and gotten a little bit better consi- consistency here in the last couple weeks versus the first two, so the answer is yes. And there are, the tight ends are a critical part of this rushing offense because they do so much pulling and they kick block and they log block, or they come around for a front side linebacker and basically an iso play. Imagine, you know, f- back in the in the old day ballast, you'd have a fullback that would isolate the front side linebacker coming out of the backfield. Well, now you're doing the same thing with a tight end from the backside maybe in motion or a pulling motion coming across the formation it's the same idea it takes a certain level of toughness a certain level of grit to come around there full speed turn the hips get up square to the you know the end zone and drive your nose right through somebody's chest so they have to get better at they don't have a choice and we have seen some improvement is this rushing offense where we want it to be ballast where do you think we are nationally NCAA stats. I love this little website that I go to and I check it. The University of Michigan rushing offense after the Rutgers game is now ranked 49th in the nation.
2: Are you talking about yards per play? Are you talking about yards per game?
3: Yards per game. Okay. Total yards per game. 49th in the nation. Uh, after the Bowling Green game, we were 68th. Right. Now we've, we've moved up to 49th. So, okay. Yeah, well, I guess that's better, but it's not where we wanted it to be at this point, knowing the quality of the offensive weapons that we had coming into the game, we rushed for 201 yards against Rutgers, 201. The quarterback had 51 of those yards on his own. Yep. And so 150 yards rushing against Rutgers, I would have expected more. Now, let me be careful here. This football team is winning games big. The defense is outstanding. They're ranked number three in the nation right now, and they were number two in the nation after Bowling Green. Still, top five defense, pretty doggone good. But this offense, with all the all the parts and pieces that it had, we certainly didn't expect them to be middle of the road in rushing and passing four weeks into the season. And that's where we start going, okay, Come on, fellas, we should see more than this. We should, you know, have a more effective offense. And yes, we have an outstanding quarterback who's had one bad game. We got two quality backs. We got a good offensive line. It's time to start dialing this thing in and putting the putting the pedal to the floor and doing what we know they're capable of doing.
2: Yeah, one thing I do want to add, though, if you look at the advanced metrics now, if you look at yards per play. Okay, and I think that's a pretty good indicator of of an offense as well. Michigan is 12th nationally, and that's not bad, seven yards per play. Now, a lot of it's hit and miss because, as Jim Harbaugh has said, you've got a lot of inefficient plays as well in the running game, and then you follow that up with maybe a big, you know, 35-yard pass play to Colston Loveland on a double flea flicker or something like that. So, however, if you compare that to a Penn State, which I think is like 76th or something like that at five yards a carry, and everybody's looking at Penn State and saying, ooh, look at what they're doing, you know what? They're not much better. And if you look at Ohio State, I think they're 16th or 17th. So all of these teams, and these are the teams that you're going to be competing for a Big Ten championship with, there's room for improvement. But where you and I are looking and where everybody else is looking is what's it going to take to beat Georgia? Or what's it going to take to beat Alabama? And you definitely need to be better. And what concerns me is that maybe they don't have – you know, Olotimi o- didn't play a good game against TCU last year, right? But at least we knew physically he was capable. How is Drake Nugent going to hold up against some of these bigger linemen that he's, that he's seeing if he's going up against those guys at Georgia and Alabama? or Not Alabama necessarily, but Georgia. Uh, to me, that's a concern. Should I be concerned? I know it's a leverage game scheme, but there's something yeah. to be said for Girth in there.
3: Well, you have you- 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 I think I think a smart coaching staff always looks at your matchups, and, and Nugent physically isn't what Obotimi is. They're just not as tall and not as wide and not as long, et cetera. So if you know you've got a deficiency in a matchup there, if you've got a 345 pound defensive tackle, and you don't you don't want to set your center up in a one-on- one and, and give them and give them a bad position to be in. So you know you can run certain combination blocks in there, get a guard in there to help, and now you can handle that you know much better. So that's one thing that a coaching staff can help out and look for look for in there at any time. And you can do some different things schematically. If you got a, a particular defensive tackle that's causing you problems, you can trap him. You can backside cut him. You can do all kinds of things to slow that guy down. There's ways for offensive linemen to – make a guy think twice about jumping in the gaps. And Michigan can do that, and Nugent is more than capable of doing all those things. The kids played a lot of good football before he got to Michigan. He's played good football while at Michigan. We just need to settle in and fix a couple of those basic things, and if it means that Sharon Moore and the offensive staff need to say, hey, let's watch for this matchup, make sure we get out of it, tell your quarterback to go opposite, call a different play in there so we have the best running lanes possible when you are coming to do a run at the line of scrimmage, ballast. Do you remember a couple of years ago when I used to track a few metrics and used to, you know, the things that we used to track years ago for the effectiveness of an offensive line? Tackles for loss allowed, no gain plays, QB pressures, sacks, and QB hits. Right. So I decided, okay, I'm going to start doing this for the big 10 season. All right? So tackles for loss allowed against Rutgers, zero. It's really, really good, right? You want that every time. That's what the number should be. Plays for no gain. Three. These are rushing plays for no gain. Three of them. All right. QB pressures. This is not so great. Seven. I had Mm. seven pressures on the quarterback. Hits on the quarterback. Seven. Can't Mm. have that. And sacks two. So you know. You know. You remember remember the rule, Ballas? Who's allowed to touch the quarterback? No one. Right. no one touches the quarterback ever. So that has to be cleaned up. And so we'll keep track of that as these games go on here and we'll see if those numbers get better or worse as the week by week goes through. But it's pretty simple. Uh when you look at those 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 expectations for how effective an offensive lineman can be, which is don't don't make the big mistake and you need to be moving people certainly as we get poor, you know, into now the middle part of the season. It doesn't I don't care who the opponents are. You need to be moving people off the line if you want to be where we are, where we think this team could be at the end
2: of the season. And Rutgers is solid defensively. They're not the standard. They are good, and they're well coached. Uh, did they do some things up front that you saw that were uh, pretty intricate, or was it basically no. straightforward meat and potatoes? No, stress? I
3: didn't I didn't see anything outside the normal tackle end twist, maybe a tackle mm-hmm. nose twist, twists, bring a linebacker. There was nothing exotic there. The play that Hinton gave up around the edge – Uh, where he just got bent at the waist. It's just a fundamental technique thing. You can't do those things. You cannot let your quarterback get hit. So J.J. throws the ball, and it's flying through the air, wherever it's going to go, boom, he's getting hit. That cannot
2: happen. No. How much are we concerned about, or how much, I guess, when we look at the running game, how many teams are really selling out to stop the run? Because everybody's saying that, well, they're bringing teams in the box. they got another guy in the box, or they're doing this, they're doing that. Is that a cop-out? Yeah,
3: no, not anymore. I don't I you know, I think it can be, but the way i I see Michigan's defenses, the way these defensive coordinators are coming in against us in the first few games, absolutely. We wanna see if J.J. Is, is really all that in a bag of chips or not. Clearly the kid is. He can make plays. So I don't think that you're going to see defenses selling out to stop the run anymore. We're clearly going back to the Ohio State game. That's not the answer for this Michigan offense because JJ and this wide receiver group will kill you if you try to do that. So I don't see that as a sellout for uh, opposing teams anymore. So that shouldn't be an excuse anymore for our ability to effectively run the football. And again, I, I, you know, i okay, get, okay, we ran for 201 yards. Let's take away J.J.'s 51 because, you know, okay, let's just say half of that. Let's just say 25, 26 yards, J.J., because we do the read option, and I think the one play where he had a big run was a design mm-hmm. quarterback or his route tree allowed for that whole field to disappear, so he took off to the right. Right. It's fine and great. I th- I think we should be rushing for more than 150 yards per game with this offensive line and with this set of backs. I just think we should. I think we should be north of 200 based on what we saw last year. And the returning talent this year, I think we should be north of 200 per game.
2: Yep, I think you're probably right. And Blake Horham had 97 on 21 carries. He's got to be the bell cow. Nebraska's got a tough defensive front. They aren't big. They aren't overly athletic. But they play well. They play hard. So that's going to be interesting in that environment. We'll see what happens up there. But And what Jim Harbaugh said, you know what he said, I don't want my guys – getting 30 carries a game anymore. He said, I want the tread on that tire to be there when they get to the NFL if they aren't getting paid here and they're getting the NIL money. But he said, you know what? There's no reason for me to run Blake Quorum 30 times. I said, next week, it might be Donovan Edwards who gets his 30 carries or 20 carries or whatever. uh, And that's going to be that's, that's going to be just fine and dandy. So, uh, But I'm with you, and uh, I am interested to see how they respond against Nebraska. Uh, I did run into a couple subscribers, actually, and a couple guys who watch our podcast at the Lions game who recognized me and said hi and thanks, fellas. And he said, Ballas, your takes are kind of medium. He said, I want some hot takes from you. you want some hotter takes. So I'm going to bring up some hotter takes here All that right. uh, that I've been thinking about, Skiing. that I want you to talk about. Number one, um, I look at Andrell Anthony at Oklahoma after he transferred there. And if you look up his stats, he's got about 350-something yards, I think, in four games. Mm -hmm. So this kid is making plays. He's out there and doing some really nice things. Now, I understand. I got a question for
3: you. I got to ask you this question because I have not watched Oklahoma play this year. Yes. Does, Does Andrell Anthony look the same as he did his freshman year, which is about the size of this pen sitting on my desk right here? Right. No. And, and I mean that in in a respectful way. Right. But he was He career. had a big game against the Spartans. He was a right. skinny freshman.
2: Yes. And last year he got bigger, and I'm sure he's bigger this year. At the same okay. time you know what? He's being targeted. He's being used. Yeah. And I was watching against Rutgers and Jim Harbaugh mentioned it too. He said, you know what? There wasn't a lot of separation on some of those routes. And I've seen that with Corey Johnson over the years. You know, in part, some people will say, well, he's just because he's an average receiver. Then again, we see him against Ohio State, you know, and he had a couple of nice, he got separation on a couple of routes. So, um, and then number two, it looked like they were putting Roman Wilson in motion more to get him off the line so they could get a running start at times, which I appreciated. But Is there something fundamentally wrong with Michigan's passing game where an Andrew Anthony can't see the field here and can't make plays? And I understand when he was targeted sometimes last year, he didn't make plays. But then he gets out of here and goes to an offense that is more suited for his capabilities, that is a little bit more wide open. Uh, But it bugs you to see that a kid go somewhere else and tear it up.
3: Certainly, certainly fair questions like, wait a minute, how can he go do there, go there and do this? Why couldn't he do have done it here? Well, that second season that he had after his big season, the big game up at Michigan State a couple years ago. I don't know how many times a kid got hit in the face with the football and dropped it. Right. And he wasn't entirely open and free. And I didn't see a big physical difference between him as a as a sophomore from what he looked like as a freshman. Oftentimes you're at the games all the time. You see these guys. I can even see it on television. You're like, holy crap, that kid had a great offseason. Look at how much bigger and stronger he is. You can look at the roster and say he's gained weight. Obviously, he's put on college football performance strength and conditioning on his body. I didn't see that from Anthony in year number two. And so somewhere in there, the kid decides to leave. He's going to go to Oklahoma, hit the big fat reset button good for him that he's found found an offense that's that's capitalizing on his abilities and he's taking advantage of that i wish he would have stuck it out here cuz he could be the number 1 guy in this offense but we will never know why he left, right? The true answers as to why he left. Is it a coaching thing? Did he have a beef with his positional coach? I have no idea. And I think kids leave for all kinds of reasons now. Maybe it could have been just because we were rushing the football as much as we were last year and and wide receivers going, man, you know, do I want to play in this offense or do I want to go to a school like Oklahoma where they're slinging it all over the place and have a better shot to perform for my NFL dreams, those kinds of things. So I think there's a combination of that in there somewhere, but it's always disappointing when a guy like him who's always had the talent to be the superstar left to go be a better player somewhere else.
2: Yeah. And that bugs you. There's no question about it. So, and it really was a case of, okay, I'm not getting my targets. I'm not getting the playing time. I feel like I should be getting, I'm not being able to showcase my abilities for some guys. uh, Clearly clearly that makes, that's huge, right? Because this is their future livelihood, right? And then you've got other guys like Ronnie Bell, who I'm going to do whatever the hell I can for this team. And and you know what, when I get to the combine and when I get to the pros, I'm going to be able to show it. And and what I've done for the team is going to, make me last somewhere. And and that's exactly what happened with San Francisco. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what some of these young receivers do. Samaj Morgan with a great catch, uh, a back shoulder catch that was contested. That was frankly one of the better contested catches that I've seen from a Michigan receiver in the last three years where he's got a guy draped on him, back shoulder. That's what a Michigan receiver should be able to do. So, you know what, when somebody brought that up though, and I thought, okay, is this a Michigan thing? Um and you know what because they were asking Roman Wilson uh, before the season you know you're not really catching the ball he goes we know what that's part of the deal we're gonna have to block so on and so forth and it brought me back to the 80s and the 70s when those guys were out there busting their asses you know for a couple of targets a game so but you're gonna have to be tight end heavy as you see in these stats Colston Loveland to me is like a receiver in this offense
3: yeah and it's that's I think it's pretty clear and obvious that that uh, Michigan's Tight ends are going to be a a critical role in this offense, and that's not going to change. I mean, you went from the 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 pair we've had going back the last in the Harbaugh era. The tight end is pretty doggone prevalent in this offense. So if you're a high school wide receiver and you're looking at the top places to go and showcase your talents, if you're all about me and my stats as a wide receiver, Michigan may not be the place for you <laughs> quite yeah. honestly. And I can't blame yeah, you for that. But yeah. then you got other guys that come through here. and They do very, very, very well. And we can go back for 35, 40 years Ballas and list off all the guys that came to Michigan because Jim Harbaugh didn't establish Michigan as a rushing offensive college football program. This has been that way with the exception of the Rich Rod era it's been that way for the better part of 40 years and yet Michigan has had some quality guys go on and get their chances in the NFL and do very very well and they're still doing that to this day you can watch them on Sundays
2: yeah Chris Calloway I think you overlapped with Chris Calloway did you not yeah Yeah, here's a guy that played, I think, eight to 10 years in the pros that wasn't targeted a ton. He and Greg McMurtry were out there. The guy busted his tail and he goes out there in the pros and and does a fantastic job. So, if you want to win titles, that's the thing. You know, it's like, what are you looking for? You know, I want to, yeah, I want to get mine. I want to win titles too. You want to be a champion? Do you want to, and and of course, a lot of guys are looking for a combination of both. So, um, I think running backs, you're going to see continue to see Michigan running backs line up to come to Michigan, assuming the NIL is where it's supposed to be and it's getting better. We saw the Sports Illustrated article about how some of the stars at Michigan are making theirs, but some of the younger guys and the other kids are still waiting, so that needs to improve. Um, and this brings me back to our, our last topic here about Jim Harbaugh and this whole NCAA thing. And we've talked about it, you know, the burger, and yeah, it was about improper contact, and they found out about it because he bought the kid a burger. It wasn't about the burger. We never said it was about the burger. We understand the kid was in town Jim decided, hey, he's here on a whim. Let's send him back, you know, away with a burger, whatever. Uh, Big freaking deal in in the grand scheme of things. But Michigan seems to be basically using this as a reason not to give him a new contract. This is the way it seems to me and in talking to people, and I don't get that. And to me, this is an administration failure. Uh, How in the hell you don't lock up a guy and make him know, I don't care how much of a headache you think he is. This guy is one of the best coaches in football. What in the hell are you doing here? giving him reason to be upset with you. Uh, and you can point to, okay, well, you did a couple of minor things wrong. You know, he suspended you for it, which pissed him off. I know for a fact pissed him off, um, you know, that his administration did that. It wasn't even the NCAA. We don't know for a fact that the NCAA stuff is behind him, which is is, is number two uh, really bothersome. But number three is why aren't you showing this guy the love and saying, okay, whatever happens, happens with the suspension, but we want you to be our coach. Here's a huge contract. One of the best coaches in football. We want you to finish your career here. Don't you think that should have happened by now?
3: Yes. So why
2: Absolutely. the hell? So so, but
3: but here's but here's the difference, Ballas. The people in Ann Arbor, the people up on the hill, the people that stand above Ward and 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 have their values and whatever those things are. Um, I don't know, and again, I'm I'm speculating. I'm not connected to that in administration right. in any way, shape, or form. Jim Harbaugh, from everything I've ever watched and listened and learned of guys that were on teams with him and and players and coaches, the guy deeply cares about his players. He wants them to be great. He wants them to have success. He's he's not warm and fuzzy. You're probably not gonna. You're probably not going to have him over for Thanksgiving dinner, and he doesn't care that you're not going to have him over for Thanksgiving dinner. He just wants to coach football, and just wants to be left alone to coach football. And he's since being at Michigan, he's been up against the cheaters in the South, and the cheaters is now gone because everybody's paying these kids, and they're making phone calls and trying to cut deals, and there's no roster management anymore. And I believe that Jim Harbaugh's. I believe that Jim Harbaugh's outspoken stance on certain social issues and political issues in this country have put a mark on him that some people in Ann Arbor would be just as happy if he went somewhere else and coached football. Those are my personal thoughts.
2: Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. And there's another faction that believes that the NCAA comes after him because he is vocal about some of the issues that, hey, guys need to be paid and the NCAA, you know, needs to dragging their feet on this kids getting paid, so on and so forth, revenue sharing, for example. So it seems like he's under the microscope there. It'd be really, really disappointing to me if that were the case uh, that, okay, some people are holding that against him because his views maybe don't uh, align politically uh, with theirs. But it's starting to make me wonder what in the hell the holdup is here because, you know, when they went after him, they called it Project Unicorn. Jim Hackett, who frankly did more for the athletic department in hiring Jim Harbaugh, than a lot of athletic directors have done here uh, over the years in their several years uh, on the job. And I don't think I'm, I'm exaggerating there. The amount of money that he has brought to the university by bringing that program back to relevance, the amount of prestige that the program has now, and the amount of – think about the amount of merchandise and the royalties that they're getting from the merchandise sold uh, is ridiculous. So I don't care how eccentric he is. I don't care how much he might have pissed you off. You need to put the ego aside. And sign this guy and say you're our guy. Maybe he doesn't stay anyway. Maybe the NFL calls and he says and they say and he says, Okay, I want one more shot at the NFL. Good for you. But damn it, go out there and give him reasons to stay and tell him you're our guy. We don't want you going anywhere and do it publicly. And the sooner the better. That's my opinion.
3: Agreed. I totally agree with you. But you know, there's a there's a there's people that have different feelings about this and, you know, Michigan's going to, certain par- parts of the Michigan family are going to say, well, we don't like the way the cheeseburger thing was handled and we're going to use that as our reason to maybe give him a nudge or maybe make him think a little bit harder about the NFL. Yeah, you, you know, I've said this now for, yeah. since the, we talked about this the last time with this cheeseburger thing. I absolutely believe this offseason, if Michigan goes on to have a really good season and the passing game evolves into something that translates to the NFL, if he gets an offer to the NFL, he's gone.
2: I think you're right. And uh, let's hope that doesn't happen from a selfish perspective because, you know what, I love winning. And if you are arrogant enough to think that, okay, we can plug in this guy, and as good as these assistant coaches are, Jim Harbaugh is one of the best coaches in the country at any level, and he's proven that. Number two, you saw what happened with Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke. No, you cannot just go out and plug somebody in, the hot name or the guy who loves Michigan. He's got to be a damn good football coach, too, especially in this climate. You've got that don't mess it up. So that's all I got to say about that. Hopefully that's a hot enough take for those fellows at the Lions game, and uh, and hopefully I don't get in too much trouble for saying that. People aren't pissed off at me, but you know what? You got to call it like you see it, so we'll see what happens, but writing a column on that on Wednesday, folks. You can read about it there as well at thewolverine.com, but we appreciate you being with us, Doug Skeen, Michigan's former All-Big Ten offensive lineman. Please like and subscribe to our podcast here at the Skeen and Ballast Show. I'm going to throw you a bone here today, soon, so, <laughs> because you deserve it, And uh, but we'll see you
0: That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com
1: on3 and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step two five three three four two 42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com